You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and this is Love Period, a podcast about how to love ourselves, our posse, and the world fiercely on the way to making the world better. My guest today is the Reverend Amanda Hamburg Ashcraft. Amanda is an ordained Baptist minister, a mom to twin boys and a daughter, and one of the executive ministers at Middle Collegiate Church. She's a stunning community organizer and activist, and I'm delighted to have her join us today. Amanda Hamburg Ashcraft, I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me, Jackie. This podcast is so exciting. It is. It is such lovely conversations with people and all my different kinds of folks that I'm connected to. And I'm so glad to have this conversation with you. Amanda, it has been a wild year. I don't know how you and Graham did COVID and three children. I just don't know. Can you just talk a little bit about what it's been like for you as a parent um, to parent your young people through this year? Yeah, sure. As I am hearing screams and I'm going to text my husband, got to keep it down out there. (laughs) Um, It has. It's been so, it's been a hard year. It's been a hard year uh, for everyone for different reasons. And I have absolutely connected a lot with caregivers about um, the unique struggle that people who have had young people in the home during the pandemic has been for us personally, it's been a complete reorientation of the way that we do care because mm-hmm. we do try to um, parent with such a village mm-hmm. and that wasn't allowed. Like mm-hmm. the best way that you could love your village, the best way that you could be um, an intentional community member during the worst of COVID was by not having your community and not having your village. And of course, everyone had to navigate that and that meant different things to different people. But the ease with which we were used to saying, hey, can you do this pickup or can you take this shift or now the kids are going to go here and this person's going to jump in here, we weren't able to do. And, you know, our nanny for just one thing who had been with them since um, they were about nine months old, um, she's 70 years old and she you know, commutes in from the Bronx every day. And of course we weren't going to have her do that like ever during COVID. Um, so it was an, a complete removal of that wonderful caregiver in their life initially along with everything else. <laughs> oh my gosh, Amanda. I'm, I'm so curious about how your children's upbringing is like your own. Uh, how, how how did your folks do you, and how does that translate into how you how you raise your three children? That's a great question. Do you want to start with how is it the same or how is it different? Whichever one comes. <laughs> yeah, I bet I bet it's some of both, right? Um, it's, yeah. it's absolutely some of both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents definitely uh, wanted raised us with a um, community mindset. And with a an understanding um, that you know it wasn't just about us per se, mm-hmm. but in retrospect, that community was still 
um, what I would now be able to verbalize as a, um, a very white centric and Mm -hmm. distanced, um, way of being community, Mm -hmm. um, from the sense of, yes, we're going to talk about missions and service and that's what it means to be a good Christian, but it's, it, it fell a little bit short. Okay. Um, so we would have, you know, we would, we would have conversations about, you know, what it means to be a Christian in part is um, feeding people when they're hungry. Right. Great. And so we would do that, you know, we would show up and, and we would, we would feed people or we would pack lunches. And, and those are actually opportunities that I'm looking more of now to get some hands on stuff with my kids, interestingly enough. But what we wouldn't have is the mm. conversation about why people are hungry. Got it. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't take kind of that extra step of, and we don't want this to be a, um, a one-sided relationship. Like we Mm -hmm. wouldn't take that extra conversation of the danger of doing a service act like this is that one might think, um, we're better than, and, and, and not able to see the assets in the, the people who in that moment are in need of food. Mm. Um, so that is. Yeah, so that is something that that we are trying to be more intentional about doing differently. I love that. I love the way you said the assets in those in those books. So you know, I want to ask you, like, where did you come from? Right? Every yeah. <laughs> every yeah. time I every time I think of you, Amanda, and you know, we've told the story publicly before. Just like here is this woman with her children in this stroller and doing this thing and marching in the world. Uh, where did you? Where did you, Amanda? White nice lady born in the South, come from to be this revolutionary raising imagination? I did come from a small town in Kentucky. Uh, That's where I grew up. And, you know, um, as Jackie said, I'm a white woman and was raised by two white parents, four additional white siblings. Um, And in as much as my small town was... um, a small town and so had conservative values. My, I grew up in a, a dry town as well, like completely dry town, you know, one high school. And, you know, now in, in bigger cities and in bigger places, there's all these conversations about it. even if you go to public schools, the schools are, have been zoned and, and even the schools themselves can become you know, racially divided and, and divided by class. And of course they can. But when you live in a town with one high school, actually everybody's there. And so in that sense, um, I was really grateful to, to grow up in a small town with one high school um, in a public school because I was with all of the class and ethnic diversity um, that the small town in Kentucky had. And there are definitely formative moments and, and, and memories um, that I can think back to my high school on and be grateful for that. Um, But, you know, I mentioned before that I have definitely kind of grown in my understanding of my place in the world and how I want to live and move and, you know, specifically parent. And I do think that my faith really did have a large role in that change. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, right after I graduated um, from seminary, I didn't want to get ordained. I thought, you know, I actually want to be in in the streets all the time and in the community. And I don't know if I want to work in a parish and and that's not where I necessarily feel called. Um, 
And I thought that my ordination might be some kind of barrier to the work that I wanted to do. And then around 20, let's see, 14, 2015, uh, with all of, it just seemed like black death after black death. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking Ferguson, we're thinking Mike Brown, we're thinking Trayvon Martin, Alton Sterling, you know, Tamir Rice. Something clicked inside me because I was seeing specifically Christianity being uh, weaponized in a lot of ways and um, misappropriated, misused um, from what I had, you know, come to understand being a Christian and, and Rabbi Jesus to be about. And I realized, actually, this is why you get ordained. Hmm. And, I, and I just really had this moment of, wow, wouldn't it be powerful if I could be this white woman from Kentucky saying, wait a minute, I have something to say about what it means to be Christian too. And, you know, what it means to be a woman like in this world still, Jackie, like actually titles matter and, you know, education matters. And like us saying like, no, we, we've done the work. Like, yep, <laughs> thank yep, you. It matters, yeah. um, so I realized let's, let's do that because mm. I feel I, I, my heart began to break in a way that it didn't have to because of my privilege in my life up until that point. Um, and my faith really inspired me to go ahead and get ordained and begin to really connect the dots between white supremacy and faith and more recently parenting. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad to just hear you say that. I want to make sure that we have a chance to talk a little bit about um, raising imagination. Um, I've been so inspired, Amanda, no kidding, by by the posts, the writing, the essays, the blogs, the conversations you have about raising little people and raising, I'm going to say, ethical, you know, just, faithful, imaginative young people who can make a better world. Um, did did you did you have that kind of imagination when you were a little person? And do your children raise your imagination? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, Tell me I about thought that. I was going to be a rock star. That was oh my, my god! What? <laughs> and here I have this beautiful mic that arrived in the mail That's to me. Right. And we're just making dreams come true over here on Love Period. But. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know but that you wanted to be a I, rock star. I, I love did. It. I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, but I did. I had lots of imaginary friends, like kind of in the traditional sense that we um, usually put imagination in kind of this fanciful, you know, whimsical space. I definitely had a lot of that. Um, but the imagination piece uh, for me really kind of crystallized when I thought about what is the kind of public voice that I want to have in the mm -hmm. world um, and what what is my kind of front line um, yeah. yep. in yep. this work. And I thought, well, activism, like I want to talk about how to raise upstanders, how to raise activists, how to raise, you know, kittens and like that's going to be my thing. But then I, I had conversations with some like kind of marketing gurus in my life actually. And, and they said, is that really what you want to do? Let's think about it a little bit longer. Like, is that really how you want to talk about what you're doing? And we went through this exercise where I was able to just really kind of express what it was um, that, that I wanted to do. And a word that kept coming back was raising. 
whether it was raising actual humans in the home, like, you know, literally raising them or raising a collective consciousness or, or raising an awareness of um, people and places and cultures that I had been able to not see or not know before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really was on to this word raising. And then when I thought about for me personally, what does activism mean? Like, what does this kind of being a good citizen, a good human mean? Um, It really is about kind of giving people the tools that they need to be able to understand the history, understand the present, and then understand, you know, have some kind of moral ethical compass to be able to then say, and now here's how I'm going to choose to decide because of it. And to, excuse me, here's how I'm going to choose to live, you know, knowing all of this. Um, because I, what I don't like about, um, you know, ideologies and political parties and theologies that I feel like are on a very different end of a spectrum for me is that they are, uh, very rigid and that they are very, you know, dogma centered. And here's what it is like in, in order to be this, you have to be this and handed down to you. So I thought to myself, I don't also want to be the parent that's like, Hey, here's what it means to be a socialist. Like here's what it means to be a progressive, (laughs) you know, universalist or, or whatever, because then I also was just kind of spoon feeding information and ideologies. And so rather it's actually about raising an imagination, like raising a, um, a mindset in a toolkit for people to be able to have within themselves what they need to make ethical and just um, decisions. And of course, yes, Jackie, like my children to your other question that, you know, that's one of the first things I realized like, wow, when, when you do have young people around you all the time, you actually have to work out your own theology all the time as well. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to give you an example from literally Sunday, um, one of the preachers at Middle Church on Sunday um, was a, a white man, and he really used some performance art in his homily. He, naked, like literally looked naked from the, the <laughs> viewer's eye. And so my little ones, they're seven, seven, and five now, had been just like running around, and then all of a sudden they just stopped and were like, what's he doing? And <laughs> and this this preacher named Isaac, he he kept referring to himself as a white male because he is. And right. so then all of a sudden my kids are, oh, why is he talking about white males? I'm a white male. And I was like, yes, huh. you are. So like, let's listen. And then, you know, um, at one point he said something about, you know, until white people can identify with the blood on the street, mm-hmm. we are not living up to really who we could be. So these, you know, these are like Sunday morning worship questions <laughs> yes. um, that Graham and I really try to not shy away from. Mm-hmm. And I I think about, you know, if how to go back to your first question, how would that have been different from um, the way I was raised or how, let's just also say, I know a lot of white parents um, raising white kids also parent. You don't have that difficult, messy conversation. One, you don't set the table for it. So you're probably not worshiping at middle church. <laughs> So, I mean, that's a thing. Right. But then, too, if something like that were to come up, um, well, that's not really what he meant. So, you know, that's not really for you. That's for another audience. Instead of, like, let's let's really talk about it and say, like, well, he's talking about, you know, when we've talked about more recently, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd dying and, and what, hap- what comes out of your body when you die, blood, you know, and how can we relate to the feeling of, of death, which a lot of Black people 
right now in America relate to and have to feel every day, you know? So just really um, kind of going at the hard conversation and with an awareness that more often than not, we say, I need to think about that too. So like actually in that moment, we said, hey, we want to finish worshiping and listening to the whole thing, but let's definitely talk about that later. And I'm going to also need to think about what that means to me as a white person to identify with blood on the street. So beautiful. Love period will continue in a moment. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. I love that we get to talk about and live out our commitment to you know, racial justice and equality you know, together in a space um, like middle that is multi all the things. And I was thinking the other day, Amanda, about this uh, craziness about critical race theory and how somehow to talk about racism is to deliver low self-esteem to white people. And you've got, you know, three white children and a white husband and what 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 do you think about you know, the love of self in this conversation like what do you think about loving yourself them loving themselves in the context of all the conversations about blood on the ground about racism you know about white supremacy like how how does the how do we raise love also you know in that that's a great question because the the kind of uh, binaries, the not helpful binaries would be either, oh, I'm white, so I, I actually hate myself, or I'm white and I'm better, and now, so I'm the savior. And so my mom's telling me all this because I'm better and I can save, right? And neither, and neither one of those are it. Um, and I think even finding places to be able to say maybe even just that, like, and we have said before, there's nothing wrong with your skin color. We do say to have white skin is not a bad thing. But the way this country has grown up and created what it means to be white is not a good thing. And it's so pervasive. And we do talk about like Beverly Tatum's smog. You know, we do say like, that's that's the thing that I feel like does resonate with, with children well. You know, it is so pervasive that that is what we walk around in. That's what we swim in, like Racial Equity Institute will say. And so how can we be smart swimmers? Mm, good. That's really beautiful. Is it ever difficult for you to love you or your people in this context of the world? Like, where is it tough? And how do you get it back if it slips away? You know, we work at a multiracial um, staff and, and congregation intentionally. So, you know, thanks to your crafting, Jackie. And there are days that I'm like, nobody, nobody wants to see me today. And I don't want to see myself. Like I, I do have, I do have white skin. Like I'm going to show up today, like, and be, a, and also be a leader in this space. Um, 
feels very hard some days, but then I have to, you know, have the conversation with myself. Well, Amanda, it's actually not about you. And, you know, in fact, that is kind of a white way of thinking also. Um, but it is about really the pervasiveness of whiteness and the sin of white mm -hmm. supremacy. And so I just, right. I, I try to say, look, if I, if I am showing up with good intentions, that's worth something. I think good intentions mm. without accountability is very dangerous. And I definitely need to find more time and intentionality in the accountability piece um, in all of my life's practices. Like, you know, who, who am I accountable to? And like, Jackie, I think you and I have some good practices with that. I'll say like, Jackie, is it, is it right for me to go in here and say this? Like, is this, you know, right, but, right. Um, but that yep. is definitely an area in my life where I feel like I could have improvement, you know, what does accountability look like? And, and am I always accountable to, in this specific conversation, you know, black people, black women. Um, so that is, that is something that's true. Is it hard for me to love white people? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, all the times that I would imagine, Jackie, some of the things you're you're recalling that have been really, really painful experiences in the world, you know, in the past, whatever, five, six, eight years um, for you, this yeah. is not anywhere near a comparison, but at those same moments, there have definitely been white people in my life who have made me sad and who have disappointed me mm. and who have made me not mm -hmm. love. Um, well, let me know if I'm, let me think if I'm saying that right, since we're talking about love here, is it that I'm not loving them or is it that I'm loving them well? Or is it that, or is it, or is it Amanda, that love, the kind of love we're talking about, the mm -hmm. kind of fierceness of love, is it that love can be disappointed hugely? Is it that love can feel like it wants a break? I mean, is it that love can feel really, um, you know, angry and sad and disappointed? I, I don't know. I think so, right? Yeah. And also, I like what you said, need a break. Because, you know, for instance, I'm thinking about uh, right after the 2016 election and you know, mm -hmm. I was being very vocal in ways that I probably wouldn't now. You know, shame really doesn't move people. And everyone listening, that is really a true thing. <laughs> but um, that's true. But I, you know, I was called a bigot and a, a horrible person by you know cousins publicly, and it's, and and in those exact moments, I was like, I don't really, I don't know what love looks like in this moment. Mm. Oh, and that's so, so honest. I, that's so real. I didn't do anything right away. And to be honest with you, Jackie, that's still unfinished. Like that specific example. Is unfinished. How honest are you? To me, that's loving. To me, honestly, to say, I don't know about that. That's that. I think if you don't love, you can fake that you're, it's Okay. But if you do love, you can have that heartbreak. You guys know, you know, you and I have been talking about heartbreak this week, but you can have a kind of heartbreak that literally causes you pain mm, because okay. you do love and some people hurt you and disappoint you, you know? And yeah. I do think, and this is, you know, something that's true for several of my relationships, you know, I've said enough or I've done enough now so that there is an awareness that like, hey, we're not on the same page here. We're not tracking well, right. but I haven't necessarily gone to all the people face to face that I could and say, I need you to know why though. Mm -hmm. And not because it's about me, 
but because I believe so strongly that this is what it means to love. And it, and it hurts me that you think you are, that it's that. that. And so can we have a conversation, you know, (laughs) Mm. about that would really be a great way to love. (laughs) Well, you know, I think ideally, right? I mean, what I hear you saying, Amanda, is your love for the world, your faith in the world, your Rabbi Jesus mentored, you know, care for how the world would look. Sometimes that love for the world is, can, can we just say the love for the world or the love for the world's best self can feel in conflict with the individual relationship love. Oh, that's great. I'm working that, right? I'm just working that out as we're saying that, but I think that's right. Like I bumped into that, you know, for me it was queerness. Like, you know, I didn't even know my family was, had, (laughs) I did not know (laughs) that we had some homophobic action going on in our family. I just didn't know until I got to middle, quite honestly, and was at a reunion with some of my cousins. Mm -hmm. Hi, cousins who are listening my cousins and my and my siblings and there were just there was just energy around what are you going to teach mm-hmm. them about them being gay uh god loves them exactly as they are and even now even recently one of my one of my family members said i've really wrestled with your your love of the queer and love of the trans but you know god bless you you're doing God's work for the people on the margins. I was like, okay, that's not exactly where I want you to be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. It's like, yeah, we have this ideal ideation of the best world that it can be. And what do we do when that comes into conflict with individual relationships? That's a really great, a really great question. And it, it reminds me too of, I, um, like Barbara loves liberatory consciousness and, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I preached about that at middle when I did imagination, I think it was last summer, but just really this notion that like, actually that world is possible Yes, and we each have a part to play in it. Yes. And that includes, you know, naming our faults, naming when we fall, when we come short, but always if we're starting with this, you know, shared premise that a, a world f- free of racism is possible, then, you know, how do we get there? Yep. But I also think that, that, that beginning with that kind of shared liberatory dream is not the same place that many white people are, which makes that even hard too. Yep. And it's sort of where do you make that kind of leap um, and, yep. and I know we're all, I know we're all over the place here, but you know, we, we talk a lot about like, it's, it's really not about saving anybody else except yourselves, white people. Like it really is, you know, you becoming the best human that you can be when you can free yourself of this, of white supremacy. Um, but that is a leap for white people. Yes, it is. And, and Amanda, you know, yes, it is. And I just, I just love the opportunity, you know, to think out loud, to talk out loud, to dream out loud about how actually that leap can be a breakaway. You know, that leap, that leap, you know, we've done that work at Middle Right where like, okay, y'all are going home to your people who voted for Trump or the people who think that the insurrection was a 
picnic or or the you know we we are still living in the spaces uh, where some of the people my age in America were on the shoulders of their parents watching lynchings and they run corporations right and they <laughs> they like write books and they teach kids so it really is a breaking away sometimes toward the reign of God or toward the Tikkun that sometimes means you won't be having coffee with that person. And and you would, I mean, would you say, Jackie, that that is also like the fiercest love? Yeah. Like that's <laughs> what it means to love? Like I think it is. And I think, you know, hello, people who are listening, you know, like not every day do you feel like you want to make that choice. But ultimately, you know, I wrote, wrote the book um, and I wrote a chapter about confronting Boldly, I think about the people I love the most. You know, the, the my my dad. I love my dad so much. I think about how much he loves me, and I think about some of the tough conversations I've had about bigotry or just you know let that go or don't say that. Like, can our love be so fierce that we love ourselves fiercely? That we expect the world to love uh, its humans, its creation fiercely, and that. And that sometimes there will be conflict when there isn't mm. enough love. Is that is that a, yeah. did that preach? There'll be you know there'll be just conflict when yeah. there isn't enough love. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think this different understandings of love, like for one to to you know, I have a lot of family members um, who would say, well, yeah, but I love by saying you know let's let's just go back to the. Um, LGBTQ conversation again, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm loving them by teaching them that this is what the Bible says, you know, in a very shaming, (laughs) horrible, not correct way. Yeah. Um, So it is also like, let's have a real conversation about what we think a, a true understanding of love is. And then how does that, you know, you and I would say, and then what's the practical theology of that? How does that play out in our day-to-day lives? So Amanda, what do you know for sure about love? Love is relational. Mm-hmm. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, again, going back to faith, I, I see that modeled in my, I, that comes from yeah. my faith, you know, this very idea of the Trinity that we really don't know the fullness about who Jesus is without knowing who Jesus is in relation to God. And we don't know all about yeah. God without you know, her relationship to the spirit and, and then it just keeps going and going. And also, you know, from the prayer the that we were taught, you know, mm-hmm. give us this day our daily bread, yes. not me, not I. Um, and so in all of these ways that how to be is demonstrated in our holy texts, it's relational. Mm-hmm. And therefore I have to extract that I can't know fully what it means to love alone and and also i don't think that that means that then there's you know a romantic relationship then that that will define that for us but but it really is a relational communal way of being which again goes back to what we talked about first one of the things that was so hard you know during the pandemic when people were were stripped of of the way that they knew to be in relationship in a way we felt like we were stripped yeah. of some love right? right you know and and that was just really hard of course we figured it out and and did it in different ways and did it in virtual ways and that's beautiful but there was a strain on love you know the past 15 years 
So I know that to be true about love. I know that uh, love is always evolving. It's not stagnant. Yeah. Love is a process. Mm -hmm. I know that love is a question asker and <laughs> uh, an imagination raiser. Mm, beautiful. And I know that love is is courageous. Yeah. Fierce. And that's fierce. And that sometimes love disappoints. One time I was writing a sermon and I was pushing against Paul's love does not insist on its own way. Mm. And I said, absolutely, love does insist on love. Actually, love does insist on love. That's beautiful. Amanda, I'm so glad I know you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks. Love period is Corey Big, Paul Swanson, Izzy Spitz, Sarah Janzak, Jenna Kuiper, Sarah Palmer, Nicholas Kramer, and I'm Calissa Brewster. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is located in the heart of New Mexico, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. We also have other podcasts you might like. You can find those wherever you like to listen by searching for Center for Action and Contemplation or Visit us at cac.org to find out more about our other programs. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good.